this is the thing. Every week, we have to find the connecting movie for the two films we are going to watch. So at the end of each podcast, when we pick the two films for the following week, during the week, and you are not allowed to Google, Google IMDBing is not allowed. You basically just have to find the film that stars an actor from each of the two different films we're going to watch. Basically, you need a Kevin Bacon film because he connects to everyone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like one degree of separation for movies. It, it's not easy, but it's not necessarily really hard. So I thought, as an experiment, <laughs> I thought, okay, what is the film that connects, and can you even do it in one film, that connects Crash with Zombieland? And if you know this, fair play, because I actually did, just for the sake of this first one, get totally stuck. And I even went on IMDb and I still can't, I still now can't find the film. Right. I've got one, I think. Okay. But I could be wrong. I could be very wrong. Oh no, hang on. <laughs> Sarah in deep thought. Oh, it's not, it's not an easy... silly because there's two, two that are in the same film, not with Crash. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. And Crash is quite a big ensemble cast, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it in one. Maybe people out there will be able to do it in one. There's the challenge. Maybe. If anyone out yeah. there can find the film that connects Zombieland and Crash, basically connects an actor from each cast. Surely Harrelson has been with Matt Dillon something. I looked. They I, I like mean, that. this is the thing. It must went... be something. It's got to be done, though. Someone will know it. Anyway, that's mm. the, that'll be the new little challenge, okay? A good idea. I like it. So why don't we start with... I think we should start with Zombieland. Okay. I've got to do something first. Okay. <laughs> which, which rule is this? For people listening to this, Sarah is limbering up. Yeah. So I'm demonstrating rule number 18, which is limber up. But this film has so much fun in it. It is brilliant. Genius writing from Reese and Paul Bernick. And... It's so much fun because they have plenty of rules and guidelines on how to beat zombies. It's directed by Ruben Fleischer, who has also directed Venom. It was released in 2009. And it's got Jesse Eisenberg, Emma Stone, Woody Harrelson, Abigail Bresnan, and the great Bill Murray, and even a young Amber Heard. So this film follows Columbus, played by Eisenberg, where he is trying to reach his family in Ohio when zombies hit America. I'm sure there are other countries as well, but we're very much focused on America here. Uh, along the way, he meets a stranger, Tallahassee, played by Harrelson, who picks him up when Columbus has some transport issues on his, his motorbike. He has an obsession with finding a Twinkie. This is Tallahassee. Very strange. I don't know why. He's obviously got nothing else to do, but he's craving a Twinkie. Uh, which is a cream-filled sponge for those that don't know what Twinkies are. Not Sweeties, which I originally thought they were before as I was watching the film. And, however, he tends to find Snowball Confectionery, which is was mainly available wherever they went, which was frustrating for Tallahassee. They head to a supermarket and get fooled by uh, two sisters, uh, Wichita, which is Stone's character, 
and Little Rock, which is Bresnan's character. And they pretend that one of them is, has been bitten and then steal the weapons and, and you know, the car. And, and what happens is they team up eventually as well. It's a quirky film. It makes me laugh each time. And it, it ties in rule number 32, which is enjoy the little things, as it is, I would say, a low-budget film, but with great fun and, and laughter. Rob, what do you think? Um, yeah, just as you say, it's just a barrel of laughs, isn't it? Right from the start, it feels very comical, very fast-paced, almost video game-like, I thought. And I think this is the first time that we really get to see Jesse Eisenberg, because I think this was before The Social Network, where I suppose he really came to fame. He had done Adventureland, and Zombieland came next, and it was the following year that he came out with Social Network. So, yeah, it's just a whole lot of fun, this film. It's a great cast. It's one of those films that you just sit down, let wash over you. There are really strong characters. Uh, We open the entire film with Jesse Eisenberg's character, and he voices, narrates the entire thing and I think the way in which they set up this zombie apocalypse is really nice because they don't spend too long obviously talking about how it came about but they very much quickly get into the idea of how you survive a zombie apocalypse and so Jesse Eisenberg who's this kind of nerdy character who doesn't have that many friends as you say he's trying to get back to his home city to see if his parents have managed to survive it and like you say he very quickly hooks up with the first of the crew Woody Harrelson and then the other two the two sisters but I love at the beginning where he spells out the rules you've obviously given us limbering up um, <laughs> but there's quite a few of these and the way in which they illustrate each rule I think is really fun it reminded me a bit of Hot Fuzz and the Edgar Wright films and the way in which they kind of cut those little sequences together yeah um, and each time yeah. they explain what's the first rule though can you remember no, I can't remember. What is it? It's something that's kind of going on in, in, in at the moment, really, with COVID. <laughs> All of a sudden, we've got these health plans as well because it's hitting people that are obese. Does that give you oh, a clue? Oh, is it? It's something about being fat, isn't it? Yeah, so it's cardio. Cardio, <laughs> it's first, that's right. First rule, when zombies outbreak first hit the first to go with obviously the fatties as he says rightly yeah that's it and you get so many though so many you get that great shot the zombie yeah running across the football pitch Uh, after the fatty but yes they have all these lovely little sequences double tap and double tap yeah takes more than one shot to get rid of a zombie careful you know when you're sitting on the toilet all these various situations in which you've got to be really really careful but the way in which as i say they have these little clips of situations he's found himself in where he has to deal with this but yeah and i just thought it was i thought it was such fun i love woody harrelson's character i mean he just looks like he's having a complete hoot he plays this kind of well it's interesting he plays this almost, uh, you know, urban cowboy type, tough guy character. He loves his car. He likes to have, a, you know, he likes the guns. He's the complete opposite to Jesse Eisenberg's character. He's the macho guy. Whenever he's confronted by a bunch of zombies, he totally relishes it. He doesn't flinch. He loves the fight. Whereas Jesse Eisenberg is kind of the opposite. He lives by yeah. these rules to make sure he 
he doesn't have to even really get into any kind of situation. But it's interesting. There is like a few instances where we kind of get backstory of certain characters. And in actual fact, they flash back with Tallahassee and they show him with a puppy dog. And you see him without the cowboy hat and without the jacket and the boots. And you see a bit of a different side to him. And I think that's the nice thing about his character. He's totally macho, but at the end of the day, he's good at heart. And although the two kind of con artist sisters that they bump into, Emma Stone's character, Wichita being, being, being the eldest, it doesn't take long before they become this dysfunctional family traveling yeah. across the States, encountering various different situations uh, with zombies. And, and they're all trying to get to this one part of the States that they believe is free of mm-hmm. zombies. It's the only place... Uh, in the country there's all, an amusement park is that what an you're amusement talking about? park that's right but this is all just heard through the grapevine different parts of america and woody harrison's character and indeed jesse eisenberg's character are far more pessimistic that this place even exists or is even a safe place to be but that's effectively where they're heading so it's just like it's, mm. it's like it's a road trip killing zombies really my favourite bit of the entire thing was definitely Bill Murray. I just thought it was such a cool, quirky... It's like they were going on this road trip and then it's almost like they take this complete bizarre left turn off the dramatic narrative that you'd expect it. They end up in this mansion, like Tallahassee, apparently, like, you know, know somebody who lives in this place and, of course, it's uh, Bill Murray. Mm. They were wanting to raid a celebrity home in LA. So wouldn't you want to do that as well? If you, if, you know, the world had gone to pot and you were the last people around, you probably want to go and see who lives in a house like this. So that's what exactly they did. They turn up to this mansion and they assume that he's a goner. Yeah. And then he turns, <laughs> Bill Murray turns up looking like a zombie because <laughs> it's his way of trying to like, you know, protect himself. And then before you know it, they think he's a zombie and try and kill him and then he doesn't die. And you just get this completely... <laughs> And therefore, you know, they're all getting stoned. And then there are these little intimate moments between uh, Columbus and Wichita because, you know, you get this love interest going between yeah. um, Jesse Eisenberg and Emma Stone's character. Yeah. And yeah, it just felt yeah. like a complete left turn for, for the movie. I think that was probably the most enjoyable it's part. Hilarious. Yeah. Um, and good on Bill Murray as well for playing that part and just to, just being funny and just taking the mick out of himself. I think that was really good. I love the line where he's kind of his, it's like his last dying words and someone says, have you got any regrets? And he just mumbles, Garfield? Because <laughs> he, he was the yeah. voice in Garfield, the movie. And I just thought that was just such a clever little line. Since watching that, I actually want to watch Ghostbusters now as well. I know. I love it when they're acting out the Ghostbusters, where they're dressed in the suits. <laughs> oh, it's just really fantastic. Um, I couldn't believe how young Emma Stone looks in this. Yeah. That was a, that was and a it real. It was probably one of her first big big films. Really, she'd done a little few roles before this, but yeah, it was one of her bigger ones. So yeah, I just, I just, it was just a hoot. It was just absolutely fun. I mean, I think I remember when you messaged me about this, giving the running time, which was another bonus. Obviously, you yeah. know, for Sarah and I, anything that's around that hour and a half mark is just gold dust. We love watching movies, but you know, we got to get two movies in, and anything else we're doing, that was also brilliant as well. That it was short and sweet. 
yeah, I don't know what else to say. I'm a big fan of Woody Harrelson. I said, he doesn't, for me, he doesn't do enough, actually. Yeah, ever since Cheers, back in the day with Ted Danson, I loved that series and I've followed his career really ever since then. I'm not a huge fan of The Hunger Games, I've got to be honest. So I know like he plays quite a prominent role in that. I mean, we talk about stars who have that presence and he's one of them, isn't he? He's definitely one yeah. of them. Yeah, if, you, if he's in it, you, you know it's going to be a pretty good film normally. Uh, you've got a good bet it's going to be a good one. But do you know what I find really funny is that this film, obviously in IMDb, I've looked it up, but it's listed as adventure comedy, fantasy and oddly sci-fi. Where did sci-fi come from? But now Shaun of the Dead is actually listed as a horror. And why isn't this film? I'm really having a clue. But Ruben Fleischer apparently was inspired by watching Shaun of the Dead to make this film. So there was definitely with the Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead, this is why this one was made. And you're right. I think they did have a lot of fun making this film. And I think it stopped and started because I think there was a drug issue with Mr. Harrelson at the time as well. So he may have been high on occasions throughout this film. You just never know. But there was quite a lot of ab-libbing as well going on. The film was shot in Georgia, which I find that interesting because... I watched Walking Dead and a lot of that is filmed there as well. I wonder if they used parts of their set for this. I couldn't see that in IMDb or anything like that, but it wouldn't surprise me if they used some some of the same set for that. This was probably one of the first big films for Emma Stone, as as you pointed out as well, and she looked completely different. I didn't even recognise her. She had dark hair, heavy eye makeup, probably to make her look younger. Not that much younger because she was fairly young. I think she was about 21 when she shot this film. And she seemed to, in most of her roles that she plays, or either has to look kind of grown up or young. I think we were opted for the young image here. But since this film, she was in Easy A, The Help, Birdman, The Amazing Spider-Man, La La Land and The Favourites. So some really big films there. And also The Creeds as well, which we've already reviewed quite in the early stages of our podcast series. She's an Oscar winner, La La Land, and nominated for The Favourite and Birdman, which, to be honest, neither of those are my favourites, but obviously a hit with the uh, critics, of course. But Bill Murray, for this cameo role, there was other celebrities that were invited to be in this film. The likes of Patrick Swayze was invited, and just before he fell ill, Joe Pesky, Mark Hamill, Dwayne Johnson, Kevin Bacon, Jean-Claude Van Damme, and uh, Matthew McConaughey. But I th- to be honest, I think they chose the right actor for this one because I, d- I don't know whether the others would take themselves a bit more seriously, whereas Bill Murray is always up for a laugh, isn't he? So it's good. I know we've had films where they've got been John Malkovich and things like that, but Bill Murray's a great, isn't he? I just love his character. And I love all the rules that we have in, the, in this film. And it, it, you're right, it does look like a computer game and because the writing sort of appears and it's just a great fun film. What are you going to give it then, Rob? I'm going to give it I'm going to give it seven and a half yeah I really enjoyed it it kind of does what it says on the tin but yeah I mean as I say just one of those films is just really really watchable and yeah ticks all the boxes but I wouldn't say it's a film that's necessarily gonna live long in the memory and that's the only reason I would give it a 7.5 and nothing higher Great. There was a lot of similarities with things I probably would have done if I was in a zombie-fested land. I would definitely go and have a snoop around a celebrity's home. As I said, who who lives in a house like this? Mm. Um, I'm going to give it eight and a half out of ten, actually, just because I thought the script writing was brilliant, very colourful. It was a great fun, and um, I enjoyed it also. I must admit, when I was watching the film, I was thinking I haven't seen enough zombie films really 
Um, I mean, obviously, I have seen Shaun of the Dead. That was quite a long time ago. And I did see 28 Days Later, again, quite a long time ago. But zombie films don't normally, aren't normally the kind of thing I watch. But I think because this had that comedy element and a great cast, yeah, it's super enjoyable. It's one of those films you can actually come back to and watch because it's not long. Yeah, it's just one of those films that totally cheers you up and is sometimes just what you need when you want to watch a film um, without doesn't make you think too much. Yeah, and on the zombie film side, I think there's not many films around because there's so many TV shows with zombies in it. You get a lot of celebrities now in big A-listers in TV shows through Netflix, um, Amazon Prime, Apple TV, etc. Because those are now the production studios as well. And, and they just roll out all these, um, like The Walking Dead, Fear of the Walking Dead, lots and lots of TV shows around zombies. And maybe they just don't see the need to do another film. However, I think there is a Walking Dead film on its way. So that could be the next zombie film. How it'll be released, I don't know. Okay, cool. Well, talking of a film that doesn't really make you think too much, we've got almost the polar opposite, I would say, with Crash, which came out in 2004, directed and written by Paul Haggis. Bobby Moresco is also credited. This was an original story, and it is an Oscar winner. So this won Best Motion Picture of the Year in 2005 and also won an Oscar for Best Writing Original Screenplay and Best Editing uh, and also various nominations. In actual fact, it's worth saying that Paul Haggis is the only person ever to write the screenplay for two consecutive Best Picture winners because he also wrote um, Million Dollar Baby, which won Best Picture in 2004. So just a bit trivia in there straight away. So this is one of these films that intertwines various storylines, these kind of multi-narrative films, or I think sometimes they're referred to as hyperlink films. Basically, lots of kind of vignettes that weave together. It's a drama which is very much dealing with the theme of race. And it takes place over a 36-hour period in LA. And we basically follow the lives of a handful of people, all from very, very different lives. And we see how their journeys and their stories kind of intertwine and collide with each other. And as I say, it's very much a story of race, loss and redemption. So, yeah, among the characters and actors in this film, we've got a Caucasian district attorney played by Brendan Fraser, who uses race as a political card. We've got his Caucasian wife played by Sandra Bullock, who, having recently been carjacked by two black men, believes that her kind of stereotypical views of non-whites is totally justified and it can't possibly be considered as racism. You've then got these two black carjackers played by Chris Ludacris Bridges and Lorenz Tate, who use their race to their advantage and also as an excuse. Um, So they're these two petty car thief criminals, I suppose. Then we've then got these two Caucasian police constables, one who is a clear racist, that's Matt Dillon, and he uses his authority basically to harass non-whites. And the other, his partner, Ryan Philippe, who um, basically is completely opposite. Uh, he hates his racist views. And then you have a black film director played by Terence Howard and his black wife, Tandy Newton, 
And Tandy Newton's character believes her husband doesn't support their black background enough. And this all happens in light of uh, an incident where they're pulled over in a car and effectively it's really clear sexual assault by, by this racist cop. We've then got two police detectives who are also sometimes lovers. One Hispanic female, played by Jennifer Esposito, and the other uh, played by Don Cheadle. And the latter is also dealing uh, with a drugged-out mother who feels he isn't concerned enough about his own family. You've also got an East Asian man who's run over, who's hiding some valuable cargo in the back of his van. You've got a Persian store owner who feels he isn't getting satisfaction from American society when his store is robbed. And you then have this Hispanic locksmith, played by Michael Penner, who just basically wants to keep his family and his young daughter safe in this, yeah, what seemingly very unsafe world. So the whole movie begins with Detective Waters, played by Don Sheedil and his partner, Rhea, being involved in a, this collision with a car. And the subsequent exchange of these kind of racially charged, very much in-your-face racial insults really kicks the whole thing off. Waters arrives at this crime scene where there's a body of a, a dead kid who's been discovered just off the roadside. And from that moment, we are transported back to the day before, or yesterday, as it says on the screen, where you then see all of these stories play out. The one thing I really liked about the movie is that I felt, although almost every single character in their own way was racist, some overtly so, some that you actually, you know, hated, out and out hated. Others you didn't like, but once you delved into their story, you started to maybe understand the roots of their racism or their anger. Yeah. And so I felt it dealt with the subject in a very non-judgmental, empathetic way, which I thought didn't really take a side. And that's what I liked about it. And I also thought, you know, it wasn't preachy. You really followed some of these characters and, and very much sympathize often with the situation they're in. And it almost just felt like you were just watching it thinking, crikey, there's the, the way in which the subject of racism is uh, and xenophobia, I suppose. It just everything feels completely confused. It deals with the way society has got us to this point. It deals with genuine misunderstandings between different cultures and different languages. It deals with very entrenched views of racism that have been passed down through families. It has an incredibly, you know, the hypocrisy of racism. Even black people in this film are totally aware that the system is completely rigged against them, but they just play along with it for their own good. So you have these real tales of morality and it's all punctuated with these incredibly powerful, poignant scenes with an amazing soundtrack. And yeah, I, I just got completely swept up in it. I felt it was probably maybe a little bit too long, but still, that's what I think. I've rabbited on enough. Over to you, Sarah. Yeah, I mean, I had pretty much very similar opinions. I watched this on DVD after the Oscar nomination hype, I believe, and I didn't really like it at the time. However, on a second viewing and with a bit more focus, it has changed my perception of this film. 
the script was well written and provided various different perspectives on racial inequality and experiences and the characters paths crossed at different stages throughout the film and many came together really at the end so it's brilliantly written and i wonder whether actually because it was slightly complicated in places whether the actors and actresses felt that but you know it's oozing with stars this film a bit like Zombieland so obviously they had to read it end to end to really know what was happening really a bit like a book reading a book really whereas I know some films you can read a couple of lines on a couple of pages and they're, they're bought in already some of the instances in this film are really shocking on how black people are, are treated and in one circumstance in particular we've got two young adults they didn't do themselves any favor because they were literally stuck a gun in people's faces and they were carjacking and actually this film uh, Paul Haggis was the director he was carjacked and that's what inspired him to create this film there's also an instant where we had the Persian man who was his shop that was constantly being burgled and trashed and racial graffiti placed on his walls outside and in and he just got frustrated with it all and he kind of took it out on poor innocent Michael Penner who is from Latino descent he really it was unfairly treated because basically there was a translation gap because this Persian guy couldn't speak very good English and Michael Penner's character was trying to explain to him that when he was fixing the lock on his door, he needs to actually replace his door because it was it was busted. It's it's not going to protect anyone, even if he with the new lock, it's not going to, you know, be very secure in his his shop. And this guy turns up at Michael Penner's doorstep and tries to shoot him, but then his daughter got in the way, and I was in the shock actually shooting tears when I saw that happen. And, it, and also you saw the police mistreating black people uh, came up a lot and it, you know, it just resonates what's been happening with uh, what happened with George Floyd as an example you know, with the black, black Lives Matter protesting and situation that we've been experiencing recently as well. And it's, it's just been going on for, for ages and on movies and TV, et cetera. But I would say I just don't necessarily like it when I see that. And it's probably because I would like to see equality everywhere on occasions i felt that some people were being racist i think you've mentioned this also rob but there was an occasion where sandra bullock's character was she being racist or was she just an angry person and we don't really actually know whether she is racist or not really although she was afraid when these two guys were near them when they were jumping into their car and then they got carjacked she kind of had rightly had that uncomfortableness and she may have experienced that with if there was two young white lads hanging around as well. I don't think necessarily she was racist because I just think she's just an angry person and you do get angry people will just shout at everyone. She even shouted at her husband um, as well. And he, she had, a, I think, a Latino-American um, housemaid as well and she shouted at her, but when she fell down the stairs this person was caring for her and she was, you know, she was pleased to have somebody that was on her side and was hugging her. If she was a racist, she wouldn't touch her and she wouldn't have a maid, I would say, probably working for her. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But I thought Sandra Bullock's character in this was really well played. 
along with John, Don Cheadle's and, and Tandy Newton's characters, really saw a different strong acting from, from them. I mean, Sandra Bullock I usually see in quite com comedy um, and romance roles, uh, but for this I know it was, was a complete change. And I know that she has done The Blind, blind Side and she's done Bird Box as well, which are more serious roles, and Gravity, of course, and she's won Oscars for Blind Side also. But, so she can do it, and she's just amazing that she can just flit from all genres. She can work in all genres, basically, I feel. And I think the, these actors really probably sold people to go and watch the film as well. I don't think people would necessarily want to seek out and watch a film like that? This, I don't know. What are your thoughts? If this film was filmed with people that were not A-listers, would you go and watch it? Well, if they weren't A-listers, I'm don't. not sure you'd ever even probably hear that much about it because there were A-listers in it and they were all, you know, by all accounts, Sandra Bullock was desperate to be in this film. And I think because it was making so many bold statements on American society on the subject of racism. I don't know, you feel it was an important film to watch purely because the the issues it raises and more importantly, the way in which it presents those issues. And so that, for me, that's why it's so powerful is the way in which Paul Haggis has managed to put, package all of this into a film with characters that it's weird. You can hate a character and then you can, you think you can then start to see why, why they're they, doing it. Yeah. Why yeah. they're doing it. But then you start to think, well, that does that justify it? And I think that's what the film is really trying to do. It, yeah. it gets to a point where you think, God, this whole thing is such a mess because there's miscommunication. There's, it's like I said before, it's everything is so deep rooted in just society that um, at times you almost feel like, it's weird. Racism obviously is what this film is all about, but at times you kind of feel, God, it's not even racism at times. It's just how do individuals get to the point where they're so, so ill-informed or like you say, just so angry that they almost find themselves as part of, you know, unwittingly part of the problem. And I don't understand it. I really don't understand no. where this anger comes from either. And, that, and you, you, you would never find out, to be honest, by watching the film. No, it's one of... apart from apart from Matt Dillon's character, but he didn't need to be racist because his dad supported black communities and had people. He did have people working for him, but he saw it as helping them out. But wh whether that's slave trade, I don't know. That's the big question mark. I, uh, I don't know about you in terms of the characters that you most, that, that you invested in the most in this. For me, mm. it was Matt Dillon's character, Michael Penner's character, and also Terence Howard, who plays the film director. Because it's almost like, well, especially Matt Dillon, Terence Howard, I just found them almost agonizing to watch. First of all, Matt Dillon is painted as this clear racist. And the way in which the story intertwines is when he first stops this car and effectively sexually harasses Tandy Newton's character. Yeah. Um, they end up in a critical scene together where Tandy Newton's character ends up uh, in a car accident and is, and is then finds herself face to face with the same policeman who is trying to save her life 
and you get this incredibly powerful situation where in this upside down car which is about to blow up you have Tandy Newton's character realizing that the policeman who's trying to save her is the same policeman that literally hours earlier was putting his hand up her skirt and it's like she's screaming saying don't save me I don't you know go away don't save me I'd, I'd sooner die and it's just a, it, and then you know of course Matt Dillon is a policeman his instinct is to save people that's what he does and so eventually he does save her and then they and then they kind of part their ways and you just think oh my god what you know what comes out of that, that that's going to mess up her head is she now mm-hmm grateful that this person saved her life is he gonna change his ways now the michael penner character who has this daughter and the, and the young daughter in this you know you, you get this sense michael penner and his wife and his daughter have clearly left a, a rough part of the neighborhood to to live in a, in a slightly nicer area because of their younger daughter um who obviously has experienced you know gunshots and stuff and you have this very beautiful story where as a father he's reassuring her that don't worry you know you, you'll never be hurt because i have this invisible cloak that was given to me by this fairy that's protected me all this time and now i'm going to pass it to you and I think the fact that you have this young girl in this story is quite powerful, not purely because of this, that incredible moment that you talk about where, where you, you know, you think the father's going to die and she, and she saves him, which, you know, obviously is, is this whole idea of this cloak really has saved her, even though it's actually down to a blank bullet. But you, you think, oh, this is the, this is the world this child's going to, grow yeah. you know grow up in and it's yeah. a mess it's just a mess i just oh. kind of thought oh my god that whole society is a mess it's a mess you know there's racism out there it's in your face yes. um but there's yeah. also lots of just there's lots of just ignorance based on culture clashes um and you kind of think well how can they possibly fix this when even the black people are kind of turning a blind eye to it because if they don't they're either going to endanger their own lives or they're going to they're going to hinder their own uh, career yeah i as i say i just watch it thinking wow powerful amazingly powerful story but what a mess that whole society is i know but that but as i said i think the script was quite complex as well and try and ma- match almost a complex world that they're living in that we're all living in it's some of the scenes were really shocking and and you were just made me angry actually it wasn't just racism it was also sexism as well yeah absolutely came up in it and absolutely. it just made me a little bit cross I would, i've left them the film feeling also because one of the characters ryan philippe's character you thought was a good guy and actually at the end of the day he's not um and he's misunderstood, I think, and he misunderstands what's going on as well with what's been going on with between inequality and what's out there when he's trying to solve crimes and stuff like that. Can I just ask you on that point? Mm. Because mm. this was the one part of the story, character-wise, where I wasn't sure whether I felt it was just a slight misstep for me. So the character you're talking about is Ryan Philippe's character, who is this good cop. It's another who ha- policeman. He's, yeah. another, he's another policeman, he, you know, his partner, Matt Dillon, eventually he, he, he comes up with a way of uh, freeing himself from that partnership because he's not racist and he can't stand watching it. 
And then, as you say, a scenario uh, occurs whereby after all of that, he then, you know, he then commits an act which shows that he's actually, you know, like you say, he is actually a racist himself. For me, I didn't find it that convincing. The way in which he was portrayed, I mean, I can understand what they're trying to say. I can understand it. But for me, he was a character who, from a moral point of view, was on such the right side and was so infuriated by this um racism all around him mm. the speed at which it fit flipped narratively to him then showing his racist colors i'm not going to talk about the specific scene i don't know it didn't ring true to me as a character i thought no he, i don't think he could be turned but i don't no, know i mean yeah i know but at the same time he he let a guy off uh, a crime he he was black because of the incident what happened with tandy newton so he let off the husband when he found him about to commit a crime which this guy poor guy had just he was just been through hell and back and he, he just flipped basically and that's why he this guy was going through his car chase uh, but he you know ryan philippe's character the policeman just let him off but when he picked up this other guy um, who had originally done all the carjacking, been involved with that side, he didn't really know who he was, but he still had a perception of him as he was driving along in the car. So he, he was doing a good deed by giving this guy a lift, but still in the back of his mind, there was a little element of racism there because if there wasn't, he wouldn't, I know he's doing. He's a policeman. Some guys, you know, saying, oh, "I'm going to get something out of my pocket." Uh, the policeman thought it was going to be a gun, and it really wasn't in the end. It, I think most people, if you pick up somebody, you pick up somebody because you you think, "Oh, they'll be all right. I can trust them." You wouldn't necessarily expect that person to have a gun in their pocket. So I I think he because he'd been exposed to a lot of the problems that Matt Dillon had shared with him on his training. I guess I just felt. There was a little bit of racism that he had because he wouldn't have just pulled out his gun if he wasn't, I don't think. Yeah, I think probably, yeah, now listening to you look at it from that point of view, I think you're probably right. I suppose he was doing just what he, he was trained to do and what he's seen so many other people do. I suppose it's the whole thing before you knew it, he found himself being just like all the rest of them. Um, mm. The only other thing I suppose I... I thought about this as I said, I mentioned it before. I thought the soundtrack was beautiful. It was kind of haunting. It was, there was an element of spirituality about the film that came across in some of the soundtrack. And obviously there was this iconography with the statue of St. Christopher. Um, so I thought all that was just, I thought all that was done beautifully and in some ways lifted it from what could have been just a very, very hard, bleak film. Yeah, so I mean, I, I found it, it was gritty, but it was gripping, it opened my eyes to a few things as well. And it was quite a complex script, but it was so well written and so well acted. I'm going to give it a rating of eight out of 10. I'm going to, I'm actually going to give this nine out of 10, um, purely because of the way it connected with me emotionally, uh, and the way in which I kind of invested in the characters and felt like Paul Haggis managed to really mess with my emotions during this but never ever did i feel like i wasn't totally totally engaged with it very good it was a good film definitely really really good film right so uh genre time what we're gonna pick for this week give me a genre it is western yeehaw cowboy your favorite genre (laughs) i've only got seven left on my list 
I am going to go for number five, please. Oh, well, this is a good one. This is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. <laughs> All right. Okay, cool. <laughs> I'm always hesitant about Westerns. Don't I that. You can't, go wrong. you can't go wrong with really, that. I, I've watched snippets of it, but I haven't watched the whole thing. That's a good one, actually. I know it's one of the better, best Westerns. Yeah, so that stars Paul Newman, Robert Redford, 1969. So here's the blurb. Wyoming, early 1900s. Uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid are the leaders of a band of outlaws. After a train robbery goes wrong, they find themselves on the run with a posse hard on their heels. Their solution, escape to Bolivia. You can catch Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid on. It's streaming on Now TV and Sky Go. You can rent and buy from Amazon Prime, Apple TV, Sky Store, Rakuten, etc., etc., Go on then, pick a genre. The genre is musical or music. Musical. Okay. I have seven. Okay, I'm going to go with number two. Number two is The Greatest Showman. (laughs) Brilliant. Brilliant musical. (laughs) Oh, fantastic. Uh, Filmed in 2017. It's got huge Jack, huge, huge (laughs) Jack, (laughs) huge Jackman. (laughs) I'm thinking of something else. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, Not at all. Uh, Keep digging. (laughs) It just keeps coming. Not huge. Hugh Jackman, Michelle Williams, Zac Efron, Zendaya, and many, many other actors and actresses in this. I think it's a great musical, actually. A really good musical. It celebrates the birth of show business and tells the story of a visionary who rose from nothing to create a spectacle that became a worldwide sensation. And you can rent that on Microsoft, Amazon, Apple, Google Play, YouTube, etc., etc. So all good? Something new, something old? Something new, something old, which actually makes our quiz um, quite hard. So can people come up with just one film that connects um, any members of the cast from both Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and The Greatest Showman? Right, I think um, hopefully I can open my window again now because I am literally melting in this uh, in this weather. It's beautiful weather. Uh, Go and enjoy it with a nice beer or or a beverage of of your choice, of course. (laughs) And uh, you will find that we have had a few issues with our uh, recording today, but uh, we've got there. We've reached the end of the session. We have. Um, See, they won't know that. They won't know that when they listen. That this. They might. They might be a. They might be a blip now and then. Yes. Please forgive yeah. us. There could be a few little blips. But uh, anyway, hopefully this is audible enough for us to be able to wrap it up and say goodbye. So have a great week, Sarah, and I look forward to reconvening in a week's time. Sounds great. Thanks very much, Rob. Thanks, Alrighty, everyone. Bye. Cheers. Bye. bye.